You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Yes, please be seated. Phil, you tell me if I'm right for the camera. Yeah. You guys know what it's like to um, speak to someone and some way through the conversation it's clear that they're not listening (laughs) all the parents said amen all the wives said i have this relationship with one uh quite prominent leader in the Anglican Church, and I like this person, but I find it um, that my enjoyment of this person is diminished because every time I speak to this person, it's clear that at no point are they really listening to what I'm saying. You know, they're just, this person is a very um, sort of type A, high-functioning person, and so I think they find it difficult to really listen and engage, and so you get that thing where you're saying, you're having a conversation, but the person is constantly looking somewhere else, either up in their mind because they're focused on something else or just other people that they would prefer to be talking to. It's kind of discouraging of um, genuine relationships when that happens. And my favourite people to talk to are ones that can sit and be enthralled by my stories. No, can sit and be, you know, fully engaged. Like, there is nothing coming between us There is no phone distracting us. There is, you know, the bright lights aren't grabbing attention. We're not in a cafe like so many annoying cafes that are pumping the music at 11 for some reason. Um, Those are the things I value. In fact, those are the relationships I value most deeply where we speak to one another, listen to one another, and hopefully by God's grace, understand one another. That's one of the things I have in mind most when I look forward to the new creation is a kind of pure communication where there is no misunderstanding, where we totally get one another. There's no deficiencies in my personality, insecurities that prevent me from getting your real meaning of whatever you're saying to me. A pure communication. It's really frustrating when for whatever reason, whether it's inattention or insecurity, um, when the message we're trying to communicate is not being received. And if you've ever experienced that, then you know what it's like to be God. This is God's experience really every moment of every day. Every moment of every day, God is speaking and not being listened to. God is speaking and people are ignoring him. God is speaking and people are distracted by, well, you fill in the blank. This is what it's like to be God. God is a God who speaks. If you're joining us just for the day today, you would have missed the kind of lead up, the the introduction to this whole theme, and that is that God is a God of revelation. God speaks. He speaks through his world, through nature, through all of that that is being blocked out by the brick wall in this room. 
all of that out there is God speaking. Constantly, in fact, without pause, speaking, communicating something of himself. God speaks through his world and he speaks through his word. These are the two books of God that believers, followers of Jesus, are called to read, called to absorb called to be shaped by, to memorize, to meditate on, ruminate on. These are the words of God. And so God knows what it's like to be speaking to a preoccupied people through his world and through his word. Check it out. Let's read verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the expanse, that is the the sky, proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. Day and night, 24-7. God is engaged in speaking. It's a not, I mean, have you ever met someone who can just talk like a drain? That's what God's like. He's like a six-year-old girl, just, con- just constant speech. And all of it is pure. All of it is good. All of it is about him. All of it, in fact, is intelligible to those who will hear it. To those who will receive it. I love that in, in verse 2, they pour out speech. That word there, pour out, is, it's literally the word gush. God is gushing. It's a very descriptive word, better than pour out. Gush. It sounds like what it is. What's that called? Oh, I can't remember. Onomatopoeia. Wow. I think I just fell in love. <laughs> It is. Gush. God's creation gushes forth knowledge and speech about him. I got a video. You got that video? I took this on the spillway of the lake at Lake Caroline. That was after a whole bunch of rain, obviously, and the the spillway was just cranking water down to... Corrate Creek, and that is a, I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a dribble. A dribble. Is that an onomatopoeia? No. That's a dribble compared to God's gushing. God's gushing of his speech, of his knowledge. Day after day, they gush. The works of God's hands gush. Speech, gush, knowledge about him. The problem is the receiver. The problem is the receiver. It's not the fact that God's speech is speechless. That appears like it might be the problem. Verse 4, uh, sorry, verse 3. There is no speech, there are no words. Their voice is not heard. That appears like that's going to be a glitch in the system. 
If God's design in creation is to pour forth speech, gush out knowledge day and night for his creatures to receive, then it seems like a bit of a glitch in the system would be that there is no speech for his speech. It's a speechless speech. There are no words in his sermon. His voice is not heard. It appears like that would be the glitch, but it's not in fact. The glitch is in the receiver, not in the messenger. The glitch is with us. The problem of not being open to receiving and hearing and being shaped by God's wordless words, his speechless speech, is our lack of openness to receiving it. That's the issue. The good news is that we can be trained, we can be trained to receive the words of God, his wordless words. We can be trained to um, switch the channel on our uh, CB radio and pick up what he's putting down. We can be trained to do that. We can train ourselves to do that. The work of the church, the ministry of the church, is to instruct us in how to do that, how to tune in to what God is saying through his universe, through his created order. This will take effort. Unfortunately for some of us, it means, it will, uh, it means we will have to get outside, like outside of the inside, like out in the air and not inside on the couch. You get what I'm putting down? Some of us, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like a very um, encouraging thought. We would prefer to be comforted and coddled by our modern luxuries unfortunately there in that environment we are again shut off this brick wall is preventing God's speech from coming through I can see a little bit of the speech just above there through the windows but it's veiled right to 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 train oneself to hear God speaking in nature one will have to actually be in nature and then furthermore one will have to actually open oneself up to receiving God's words in nature this is a whole body discipline it's not just about opening your ears like we had to to hear Jemima on the video it's about opening the your entire body whole body opened up to receiving God's wordless speech I'm afraid there's no easy way to do this and we have the unfortunate position of being trained, probably most of us for all of our lives, against that kind of reception. We conceive of learning, of receiving knowledge as jug to mug, right? It's, it's words, read or heard, that I then put into my brain and accumulate knowledge at least enough to pass the exam and then to dump it afterwards. That's our education model at work. Most of us are very conditioned to that end. So, to come to terms with the fact that God speaks with wordless teachings, wordless sermons, requires a whole kind of 
mind shift. And then it requires a whole kind of body shift because we actually have to get out there. And then it requires a whole kind of focus shift because once we are out there, we have to not spend all of our time thinking about what we'd rather be doing on the couch or the 10,000 things that I'm meant to be doing for work or the problems I'm having in my relationships. Like, it's got to be a, 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 a time of focused engagement, mindful reception of God speaking, and all of that is really hard. All of it is really hard, but all of it is uh, wonderfully beneficial. I've made it my practice to do it once a week, to go for several hours into the wild and to be absolutely prevented from and, and have chosen areas of the world where, where there is no phone reception because I know my weakness. I'll just spend my whole time, I don't know, looking at a screen instead of receiving from God through his creation, right? And then hours spent just opening my whole body, soul, mind, spirit up to God's speaking in nature. So I don't know if you want to do it. I think you should. It's going to take some work. The problem is not the wordlessness of God's speech. It's the receptivity of his creatures. This has been a problem from the beginning. So if you read Romans chapter 1, specifically talking here about people who aren't believers, people who, who do not have a, any sense of wanting to open themselves up to God's ministry in nature. Paul describes them in Romans 1. You got that up there? Oh, we got it. So verse 18, he says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's the truth? Well, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been, see, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So the glitch in the system is not the communications. It's the receptivity of God's creatures who were made, designed to receive that message through creation. The message about his invisible attributes, designed to receive it and yet unwilling to do so. They have removed their antenna. I don't know. I don't know what the analogy is but they suppress the truth. This comes down to pride. It comes down to a desire not to be told anything from above, not to be, have anything imposed on us. It's a desire to, oh, here's one, and this is tragic. It's a desire to delight in the creation 
and exclude the Creator. That's what he goes on to say. That's the essence of idolatry. It's taking the thing which God has made good and turning it into God. This is a tragedy of so much of the environmentalist movement today. The environmentalist movement that was hundreds of years ago really pioneered by Christian believers who had a deep appreciation and valued the creation that God has given were compelled by their sense that this was something precious given by God to preserve it, conserve it. That movement has now become so closely really associated with a, 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 a desire to worship the creation, the creation rather than the creator. I took Judah a little while ago to this um, book launch in the city for um, a beautiful new book um, called The Great Forest. And it uh, was written um, as part of this kind of movement. Oh, it's about the, the forest that rings around Melbourne. Um, if you go out to like Marysville through the Black Spur, there's incredible ancient forest really ringing all around Melbourne um, and um, there's this whole movement to make it a national park. Uh, we have precious few national parks in Victoria and um, so there's this movement and so I took Judah along because he's a little conservationist himself and we went to this book launch in the city, he was the only kid there it was, and it was full of very, 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 very passionate environmentalists who spoke so beautifully about their passion for the creation and yet there was not a word for the creator and all I wanted to do is get up and preach because I was thinking to myself there's something so obviously missing from this meeting and I was thinking to myself these people this is a message for these people The Christian conservationist message gives depth to what is otherwise a very shallow endeavor. A very angry endeavor, actually. I had to cover Judah's ears several times. No, I didn't. I didn't even try. There was just, just a lot of anger, particularly at governments who failed to get on board with the movement. So, for Christians to have an optimistic theologically deep, historically viable and connected message about the goodness of God and the goodness of His creation. That's a wonderful thing. I'm not going to go any further because in a few weeks I'm going to give you a whole message on this in our next sermon series in, in October. I'll tell you more about that later. But we have a mandate here. We have something substantial and Paul's point in Romans 1 is to sort of give us the negative side of that. Those who deny the Creator in favor of the creation gut, gut, um, disembowel that appreciation of everything that's right and good about it. They turn it into something evil. So the problem is not 
the messenger. It's not the message. It's the it's the it's the inability. No, not even the inability. I'm telling you, you you have the ability. It's the um, the unwillingness, or um, uh, I don't know. What is it? Why don't we receive God's words in nature? It's because of distraction. It's because of um, it's because of unfamiliarity. It's because of poor training. It's because of all these things. And yet, night after night, day after day, God is gushing. God is gushing. God speaks. He reveals himself. We have a God of revelation. We have a religion, a faith, of not of speculation where we're trying to figure out what God is like and who we are and we got to spend all our time going inward and you know finding our true selves and and following our hearts that is not our religion our religion is a is a, a religion of revelation God has spoken God has revealed himself he has told us who we are he has told us who he is he has told us who we are in light of who he is and he's done it through nature this is called general revelation, and he's done it through scripture. This is called special revelation, and that's where the psalmist goes next, all right? Verse 7 to 9, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The uh, precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The, the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. What he's doing there, he's taking these five um, descriptive words that the Bible uses to describe itself in the Pentateuch. So that's the first five books of the Bible. The, these are the ways that the Bible speaks of itself. Instruction, testimony, precepts, commands, ordinances and so what the psalmist is saying is all of scripture this is his way of summarizing the whole thing all of God's words and for us coming after him in the new covenant we can say all of the old and new testament all scripture is precious it's perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's radiant, it's pure, it's reliable, it's good. And it's good for something. It's useful. It's not just beautiful, it's not just a, a nice literary work that we can go back to or keep in a museum and appreciate. It's more than that. It's practical. It has practical effect. It has use. It's useful. It's full of use. It's pretty much what I think probably Timothy had Psalm 19, uh, sorry, Paul had Psalm 19 in mind as he writes to Timothy, this young pastor of a congregation in Ephesus who wants to remind him about the power and purpose of God's words. And this is what Levy read for us earlier. Remember in 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17, we got that? All scripture, all scripture, all of God's special revelation, 
All Scripture is inspired by God. That means breathed out by Him. And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. This is what the Bible does. This is its purpose. It's a training manual. It's many other things. It's the greatest work of literature we have in human history. It's the best-selling book by about 10,000-fold that we have in human history, but it's more, much more than that. It's useful. The man or woman of God who is, again, receptive, opens themselves up to God's speech. Not just the wordless speech, but the word-filled speech. That person is thereby trained. That person is thereby kept from error. That person is blessed. Which is why he goes on to say what should be kind of obvious. He says of God's words, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant, a gushing reward. So here's my question. Why don't we think that? I mean, not, not like if you got handed the mic at church, kind of, of course you'd say, oh, when I think of the Bible, I just think it's more desirable than gold and um, than an abundance of pure gold. And, and, and really, I just feel that it's sweeter than... Like, forget all that. Like, why don't we actually think that? Like, in the heart of hearts. Why don't we actually think of the Scriptures in those terms? Better than the best dessert available to the psalmist. More, more desirable than the most precious of metals. Any ideas? We get distracted by, stuff. Get distracted by other stuff. Like what stuff? easier to be indifferent about something so to be to have the kind of passion that this writer has means you kind of need to stand on that what does that mean saturated soul okay So are you saying, so to have a really good and um, 
ebullient appreciation for God's Word, you actually have to read God's Word. That's something like the, 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 um, the uh, who are those guys? <laughs> um, Puritans. You want to take the mic, James? I just keep, I, I keep getting the feeling that James should be doing this. Um, the Puritans would say things like that. Like, if you are struggling to read the Bible, then read the Bible and you will grow in appreciation for the Bible. If you're struggling to pray, then pray, and you will find it easier to pray. And it sounds a little bit trite and, and a little bit unhelpful or that it lacks a kind of empathy, but I think it's probably just true. There's no way really to appreciate these words unless you know them. And there's no way to be consistent in reading unless you develop a habit for it. That's just a fact. That's right. Yeah, what's gratitude got to do with it? So, so, gratitude plays a big part in establishing a kind of love for anything. If you have grown cold towards your husband, if, if, you will, if you're willing to every day write down two things you really appreciate about him, your heart will grow warm towards him. It's a guarantee. That's just how the computer of your brain works. It's how God has wired you. That's why he keeps telling us through the scriptures to practice gratitude, to praise, to give thanks. So I agree. And the time thing is a big factor in squeezing, squeezing out time for reading God's word. And that, that's a legitimate reason we don't read. And it's a poor excuse. Because we definitely find time every day to eat. Whenever, you know, no one gets to the end of the week and says, I just haven't eaten this week because I've been so busy, right? So we, we, do, we do respond to things that we prioritize even in the midst of chaos. Mm. That's good. We also had that internal prompt of hunger to go and eat. And so that needs to be cultivated as well, a hunger for the word. That's all throughout scripture. That's the metaphor that's used, right? Hungering and thirsting for God. It's sweeter than honey. Something to be desired. The milk and the steak, yeah. Milk and steak.
Mm. Mm. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe it's a way, I think all of us feel those pangs of hunger, but the question is, how do we respond to them? Uh, we can respond to them. These are pangs of hunger which are really um, desire, a desire for meaning and substance. So many of us respond to that pang of hunger with substances, right? It's that we, we, we slake our thirst, we um, satisfy our hunger with stuff, with entertainment, I don't know, you fill the blank, alcohol, um, eating, all the things we do. All of these things are, um, they're like the idols of Romans 1. They're little created things that can't actually satisfy our hunger. They're like, um, they're like a handful of Cheetos or something. You can eat Cheetos all day and it won't do anything for you. It's literally just air. It's corn or something blown up with air. feels like you're getting something and you'll never be satisfied by it. Good discussion. Um, yeah, good discussion. We need to move on. Um, I've come to the end of my time, so here's here's where I want to leave us. Okay, yeah, and this is this is a beautiful thing that I never saw until the other day. Okay, if it's true that God speaks, God reveals Himself through His world and through his word and that we as followers of Jesus are called to open ourselves up to receiving that speech, that teaching, that instruction, that command, that ordinance, that correction, that rebuke, um, reproof, that training, right? If If that's what's going on, then it's really astonishingly significant that in Jesus, we have those two main ways that God speaks to us coming together. That's what's going on in Jesus. That is the profundity, the majesty of the incarnation. That is God's word coming together with God's world. That's what incarnation is. Let me read one of the best verses in the Bible. John 1, 14, the word became flesh. That's it. The Word became flesh. God's Word combined with God's world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory like, the, like what the heavens declare night and day was seen in Him. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God became man. The Word became flesh. The most perfect revelation of who God is 
was among us. This is Jesus. He is God's word and God's world combined. He is the revelation of God walking among us. This is Jesus. And so as followers of Jesus, I just want to do what the Bible has been doing for us all weekend, I hope. Doing what God's Spirit has been doing all weekend, I hope. To call us back to, to remind us of the central importance of hearing Him speak, receiving His words in His world and in His Word and ultimately through the Word made flesh, through His Son. Let me pray for us. And then I'm going to have us gather into groups and pray together. Just pray out of what's been happening in this weekend, what God's been saying, the things that you've been experiencing, anything that struck you this morning. We're going to do that in smaller groups. If you are not a prayer, if you're not comfortable praying, then there is zero pressure on you to pray out loud. But please do be part of the um, the conversation. So let me pray for us and then I'll throw to you. Father, we thank you for your world and we thank you for your word and we thank you that you are a God who speaks. I pray that we would listen with ears and eyes, mouth and nose, skin, with soul and spirit. I pray that we would listen and learn and so be made more like Jesus, word made flesh. We'd be more like Jesus, the perfect representation of who God is. We'd be made more like Jesus, the perfect human being. Lord God, I thank you for the beauty of this faith that we share. Only Christianity has a God made flesh. Only Christianity has a God who would condescend so much, forsake his own glory so much as to walk among us and ultimately even more to die for us. We are so grateful, Lord. We're so grateful for the gospel. I pray that you would continue to grow it in us and that all of these things that we've learned during this time away together, the things that we have experienced, that you would make them live and give them roots down deep in our hearts, that we would live out these things that we have learned and never be the same again. Now please be with us as we pray together. May your spirit be moving among us and giving voice to those things that we have learned and those yearnings that we have and those frustrations and those things that have been left unsaid. Please bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.